Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Buttermilk Boulevard, the podcast that discusses discographies of your favorite bands and the artists behind them. I'm your host, James, and today we are going to discuss the discography of Alice in Chains. Um, it's really cold in my apartment because it's hot outside, so you might hear my hands scratching around because it's cold. I could turn up the, the AC, but I don't want to. <laughs> Anyway, so we'll, uh, let's, uh, as always, get some admin. I hope everybody's doing okay out there. Um, I know some of y'all are probably expecting me to drop the Elton John Part 2 dis- of the discography review for Elton John. Um, that doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> I, uh, as I said last week, uh, I'm kind of splitting it up just a little bit here just so I can keep my ears fresh because um, it is a lot to take on, 33 albums with that guy, but... Um, next week you should expect part two and then i'll probably take another week off of that and then part three will come out that following week as always just leave a like subscribe follow the podcast for more content in the future i'm on uh, most social medias under the handle buttermilk boulevard pod and boulevard being the shortened version blvd Uh, leave a comment send me a message let me know what artists you'd like me to cover I'm open to pretty much most suggestions. I'll listen to most um, genres of music as well, so just feel free to reach out if you want me to cover your favorite band. Um, Normally I do ask, though, that the band at least have two or more albums just to give me something to talk about. Usually if there's only one album, I mean, it's going to be a five-minute podcast for me to talk about. But now for my discography discussions, I'm not an expert despite my musical background. (laughs) So so the things that you hear in this podcast will mostly be opinion-based. If you do not share the same opinions, like I said, feel free to reach out, share your feelings. How do you feel about the certain album or the band that I'm covering? And as always, none of the thoughts that I share in this podcast should be reflective of the band or the band members. Um, It's all just my opinions, essentially. So let's just jump into it. As I said before, covering Alice in Chains this week, I really like Alice in Chains. Um, So for anyone who pays attention to my social medias, you would have seen a little emoji puzzle that I posted in my story for everyone to try and figure out. It was essentially, uh, without beating around the bush, the emoji man was inside of an emoji box. So, man in a box. (laughs) And the artist, of course, being Alice in Chains. (laughs) But uh, that's right. So, uh, this week we'll cover arguably the best grunge band out there, out of the four major grunge bands that we got. Um, Just like metal has the big four, so Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth, Metallica, Grunge has their big four, which is Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and then, of course, Alice in Chains. Um, so here, here's a little backstory we'll kind of get into, but I don't cover too much of that. We'll touch on a little bit as we go. But um, basically, uh, before we do- delve into the discography, just to give you a little background on the band. But Alice in Chains was formed in 1987 by guitarist Jerry Cantrell and the drummer Sean Kinney. They recruited bassist Mike Starr and the lead vocalist Lane Staley. For the most part, the band has had a consistent lineup. Staley would be replaced by William Duvall, the current singer of the band, um, after the tragic death of Lane Staley in 2002. The original bassist, Mike Starr, 
was replaced by a Mike Inez, the current bassist, um, back in 1993. Now, Alice in Chains is my favorite of those four grunge bands that we mentioned up top. I think all four of those bands are great, but I think Alice in Chains is probably the most heaviest sounding band of them. And with my love of metal, me being a big metal head, uh, it kind of fits that sound that I enjoy the most, that heaviness of the guitars and such. But I enjoy all four, of course. Soundgarden is probably a close second for me, if nothing else, but for Chris Cornell's vocals alone. Um, but they're also quite kind of a heavier side of the bands between the four. Uh, Pearl Jam probably being the last one, not to say they're the worst. I mean, there's grunge bands out there that we're not even covering outside of those four bands, but um, that's just kind of give y'all my opinion on the matter. But uh, Alice in Chains has six studio albums, three EPs or extended plays, if you don't know, three live albums, and five compilation albums, so greatest hits and such. For this episode, I'll mainly be covering the six studio albums as well as the EP Jar of Flies. Um, Now, I know there's two other EPs out there, but um, I believe they're called Sap and then We Die Young, but I won't really touch on those because they're kind of shorter ones. There's not much to say about it, but um, let's jump into it. I'll cover some history again as we proceed, but... um, I'll talk about kind of what I noticed and heard throughout my listen through of the albums. And full disclosure, I'm a big fan of this band, so you can kind of expect some bias as we go on. Love you too. (laughs) But, all right. The uh, first album that we got here is called Facelift. Facelift was released in 1990 as the debut album for Alice in Chains. This album features the singles Man in the Box... We Die Young, Bleed the Freak, and Sea of Sorrow. Uh, It featured the first members of the band that I mentioned, Lane Staley, Jerry Cantrell, Mike Starr, and Sean Kinney. This was the album from... uh, This was one of the first albums of the grunge movement in the 90s, and it was the only one to be certified gold in less than a year after its release. It would actually go on to be double platinum later as well. This album is actually very good. Um, Again, it's not as common as you think um, that the first album in any discography is very good. uh, As the follow-ups, and I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but usually that first album is kind of, it's it's a rough kind of take. It's usually demo type of bass stuff. But this one's actually very well produced as a first album goes, and it's actually very well done. It's arguably one of their best ones that they've ever put out, but... Now, I don't think personally that this one's as good as the follow-ups were, but if I were to rank these, I'd say this is this album, Facelift, is probably on the upper half of the records. Now, I'll kind of start off this review by getting the elephant in the room out of the way. Uh, I want to discuss Man in the Box first. It is Man in the Box. Um, frequently, I've heard it referred to as Man in a Box. It doesn't really matter who's a stickler on that. I don't really care, but... Um, for the record's sake, it's per, it's called Man in the Box, um, and I think I'll probably refer to it as both ways throughout this podcast, but whatever. <laughs> um, this is one of the, uh, I think, best songs that Alice in Chains has. It's very simple to the ear, um, but I've performed this song, and I can tell you that it's it's not really as easy as it sounds when you're performing it. The timing is just 
the slightest bit off. I can't really describe it, but um, and the simplistic notes and the chords actually make the song slightly difficult for even a seasoned musician. I can tell you that the drums, as simple as they sound, and I sat down to try and play these out to just try and see, okay, what am I imagining this or what's going on? Um, but I can tell you the drums, as simple as they sound, can be pretty tricky. The song isn't fast by any means, but most of the pacing actually comes from the bass and the guitar parts instead of the drums, which usually guide the rhythm of a song. Um, if you really listen to them, the, the drum part, the urge is to kind of hug that hi-hat on on the left with the you know and tick 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 away but sean kinney skinny (laughs) is letting that hi-hat ring out a bit so there's actually like a slight delay for the right hand when you're hitting the hi-hat he kind of lets it ring before he taps it again going back into that same rhythm Um, also the kick i'm not positive but i believe the kick is doing a is not doing the double kick that you think you're hearing um, it might be doing it a little bit later, but when it starts out, the when it starts out, it's I think it's just one kick, and the bass is doing the double part. So if you remember the song, it goes bump, 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 bump. And that's probably not a good representation, but you can listen to it. And um, but I think the the second part of that little verse section there is um, mainly the bass is doing that dump bump. And it sounds like the drums are doing it. And I think most, most drummers probably want to do that, du- that double kick sound. But, um, and I could be completely wrong on that. That's just kind of what I hear. Um, it is a song that actually requires some focus. Now, don't get me wrong. This song is very easy. Um, but this would be actually a great song to visit if you're a musician in training or even a seasoned musician. You might revisit this one and kind of see actually the little nuances that's being done. Um, for the guitar, again, not too hard, but Cantrell's also singing, which can throw off the rhythm pretty easily, especially in that um, I'm not a developed singer. I'm not really developed in my singing and playing guitar at the same time skill as much as some, but that intro I, 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 is actually really tricky with the rhythm guitar part, that bump, bump, bump. Um, it's really hard to kind of nail that little I, 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 on top of that rhythm because the the, the I, I's are a little a little out of sync with what you're doing on the guitar. It can it, you can practice, you can nail it down pretty quickly, but it's still kind of fun to learn. It's a challenging song to learn um, to get it precise. Now in the song, and I've I've seen this done a million different ways, or been told a million different ways, but Cantrell's mixing two effects here. Many people I've watched on YouTube and stuff usually forget one or the other. Not that big of a deal, but Cantrell is actually using a talk box during the main part. He's going, wow, you kind of hear that kind of tone for the talk box. And it's actually layered with a normal distorted guitar on top of that. So they're layered together, double tracked, if you will. Um, And then on top of that, Cantrell is um, using a wall pedal during the, uh, IIs or whatever. So you hear, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm singing me all this week, but <laughs> the, uh, but you can kind of hear the wall pedal. So he's actually doing both of those. So it's it, at some point in the song, some points in the song, you hear all three of those at the same time. So he's layering three guitars during one part, which is really hard because he doesn't have a rhythm guitarist. So live, it probably wouldn't sound nearly as, um, nearly as much as the record does, but 
Um, the vocals, I would say, are a hard part, even for a seasoned musician. The vocals are actually really difficult because of the range that Staley has. I mean, I don't, I don't even come close to the range and the distortion that he has in his voice, the little kind of the grungy part, like a frog's calling somebody's throat type of thing. Uh, but he's just, Staley is something else, man. Um, especially towards the end, he's holding those little higher notes in the song. Um, but anyway, we'll kind of get to the rest of the album here. Um, that song's amazing. If you haven't listened to it in a while, I suggest you do with kind of open ears and listening to what's going on in that. Um, it's an amazing song, in case y'all didn't know. All right, but we have a whole album here to cover. Uh, the lyrics in the album as a whole are pretty dark. Um, they're mostly directed outward towards like an external third party. Uh, some of the lyrics are a little uh, rebellious in nature. And what I mean is they're, they're kind of like focused like anger towards politics or anger towards something like that. Um, later records, they address a little heavier topics like suicide. But this album specifically, Facelift, is a little bit more rebellious. The bass in this album is very chunky. It's very full, and it takes up a lot of space in the songs. It rings out through the songs, adding a little bit more atmosphere to the album. The only thing I did notice is that most of the time, the bass is just kind of mimicking the guitar riffs. And you'll I'll repeat this probably 18 different times in each album, but for the most part, the bass isn't really doing much fills or riffing or anything like that it's just kind of repeating exactly what the guitar riff is doing uh, i don't hear mike star do many fills or anything that often but he does have kind of his moments where he does do that stuff but for the most part he's just repeating like i said part of what um actually makes them what makes allison chains so heavy is that repetitive riff that they're doing so I've already mentioned this, but Man in the Box is a similar type of thing. Everybody is hitting that same note at the same time. Bum, bum, bum. Everybody's doing it. The drums, everybody's doing that same part. And that's what kind of adds to the heaviness factor of it. And then you add the vocals on top of that, which are actually not usually the same as the riffing. Um, unlike some songs, usually when they're singing a verse, somebody's the guitar is also doing that verse part. Um, it's kind of, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but usually whatever a guitar is playing, so that if they go like G-E-A-G, then the vocals will also go G-E-A-G. Instead, Staley is kind of doing a little bit of different thing where if he's doing kind of the octave of that or um, just not following it whatsoever. Um, but it really adds to kind of the impact of the oomph for Alice in Chains songs. Uh, the guitar tone is actually super chunky. Um, I think a lot of people would describe the tone as sludgy, and um, I think that's because they have a song called Sludge, but <laughs> but I think the album as a whole, it, the guitars have more chunk in the facelift record and the early stuff than the later records that become kind of that sludgy sound, and I don't really know how to describe I'm sure there's a technical description of all, all that sludge and, you know, whatever, but you know, you'll get it. It's, it's crudgy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we'll mix it's chunky and sludgy. So chudgy, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that Cantrell is using the neck pickup. I think he's got it up. Um, but it, uh, it kind of sounds like an Ibanez style of guitar that, that 
those guitars are kind of favorable to the low end sounds of a guitar, the low end tones um, versus like the high stuff, the high stuff you're going to get more in like your fenders and such. Not, not going to say that both those guitars can do either or, but um, usually like with a metal musician or something, you'll see them playing like an Ibanez. Um, but I did look it up because I wanted to know what it was. Uh, I think uh, Cantrell's playing a guitar called a, uh, it's a G and L rampage. I've never heard of that brand. Honestly, I'm not sure of any artists that use that besides Cantrell. Um, and to be honest, I've never really paid attention to what Cantrell's playing when I do see it and stuff, but, uh, I'm sure live he plays different tunings and such. So he's got like eight different guitars, but for the most part, his regular one that he plays in the albums is this GNL rampage. Now I really like in facelift, there's a song called I know something. I actually really like the chorus in this one. It's a little bit different because the backing vocals take a primary vocal role. Uh, in other words, the backing vocal is singing the main chorus line while Staley um, is kind of riffing and just adding some of those yells and grunts, so to speak. Uh, I haven't really touched much on the harmonies yet either. We're already halfway through this first album here, and I haven't even touched on the harmonies, which really kind of makes up what defines Alice in Chains. Um, it's a bit self-explanatory for me to talk about them, but of course they're very good harmonies, but they're also non-traditional. Um, pretty much every band member in every band member in AIC harmonizes at some point or capacity in the songs. The two main people that you hear is Cantrell, which he'll be a stable vocalist all the way through these albums. And then Staley, of course, has the primary vocal role. It's actually really cool because the voices are not a typical kind of harmonization. It's not like one singer's doing the octave or the harmony of the other one. Um, instead, it's more like Cantrell and Staley's vocals kind of bounce off of each other, the way their voice actually sounds, their tone of voice. Um, it's not a very typical thing. It's like Cantrell singing the lower octave while Staley is singing a higher but a lot more distorted octave. Um, they are clearly harmonizing. Um, there's no doubt about it. One person's not singing completely off of the chord, but um, yeah, I'm not really sure how to get too much into that. I'm not a I'm not a professional vocalist or anything, but I pretend to know things. Now, this album facelift is really good, really good, <laughs> really good. But of course, Man in the Box is the the major standout of this album. There's a lot of good songs on it. I don't want to you know, put those down by any means, but Man in the Box is definitely the hit that everyone knows on this. And all the songs are very impressive feats of musicianship. The songs are very precise. Allison Chains is very precise and intentional with their songs. It really shows kind of the craft and talent of their songwriting. But all right, so next up we have the album Dirt. Dirt was released in 1992. And I think this album and the self-titled album, which we'll get to, are have the most recognizable album covers. I think Dirt is probably um, a little bit more recognizable in my opinion, but it features a mostly nude woman on the front covered in dirt, which is a dead giveaway to the title. <laughs> but... Uh, but you kind of know which album I'm talking about. It says Alice in Chains and it says Dirt and there's like a lady laying in a desert or something. Um, 
I'd say this album is just as amazing as the other albums. Um, a lot of people quote this album, Dirt, as the masterpiece for Alan Chains, but I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, we can kind of touch on that in here in a minute, but I, I, I think Dirt's good, but I don't think it's their masterpiece by any means. I think they're all very good in their own way. They're all very different sounding albums. But now to start this album is, uh, I think this album lyrically is the heaviest album Allison Chains has. Um, it has a little bit slower acoustic friendly songs on it. Um, while facelift was 95% in your face distortion and stuff like that. But we are also only in the second album, but I can confidently say that the most common words that you'll hear Allison change use are all featured in this one album. Uh, the words like dirt bones, whole <laughs> or some variation of angry or dead, <laughs> you know, they're, they feature those. It's very common kind of tones <clears throat> to kind of indicate what their theme is on each album, but they use those words so frequently. And, uh, this album actually spawned five singles. There's the song wood, which is a uh, W O U L D with a question mark, them bones, angry chair, Rooster and Down in a Hole are the singles featured. Uh, I'll say a lot of the grunge era bands kind of make appearances in the guitar learning experience. What I mean by that is when I was when I was a lad being taught guitar by my instructors, there would be a number of students in the other classes kind of learning a variety of different music and genres. But I'd say grunge was probably one of the most prevailing sounds that you would hear from the younger generations. Probably because it had some of that rebellious thing, and teenagers are kind of going through that rebellious, you know, time in their life. But uh, I was more of the learning, teach me classic rock and shit. Teach me the heavy metal and the classic rock type of sounds. I wanted to know the Iron Maidens, the Judas Priests, the Guns N' Roses, the Van Halens. And, and there's plenty of that to go around as well in those type of guitar lessons places. But uh, I think, you know... Most of the time, if you walk into those places, you're going to hear ACDC and some sort of grunge band. So you're going to hear a lot of Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana or Spoon Man by Soundgarden, Yellow Leadbetter by um, Pearl Jam. And then, of course, the album that we're talking about, Dirt, Them Bones, is probably another one that you'll hear frequently. <laughs> um, but honestly, that's the my point is, that this album, Dirt, for Alice in Chains-wise, is kind of the go-to for starting guitarists. Um, now, this album is a lot darker than the previous, which I kind of mentioned, but I'm um, repeating myself a lot today. Uh, this is where they kind of began to touch on the themes like suicide, depression, anger, and death, and um, very other light-hearted topics. <laughs> but uh, the tone of the instruments are generally about the same as the previous one. Chunky guitar riffs, chunky bass lines, uh, big booming reverb-heavy drums, and then the screeching vocals and distorted vocals of Staley. Uh, and the lineup is as well hasn't changed yet. But um, this album does start off with that song I mentioned, Them Bones, which is a, you know, a huge hit for them, just as much as Man in the Boxes on Facelift. Them Bones is a huge one from Dirt. Uh, this is actually very reminiscent of Man in the Box in a simple way. Uh, it's a very hard, simple, tricky vocal lines, delayed you know, 
simple drum lines. It's just timing wise, it's they seem kind of similar or interchangeable. They're not the same song by any means, but they're just kind of take them or leave them type of thing. It's a, they're both a very very well known songs in the Alice in Chains discography. But and then we follow them bones with a song like Damn That River, which is actually a personal favorite of mine from this record. And um and probably many a you know AIC fans, but I love the guitar riff and and the verse that bounces off of Staley's vocals. It's just very very interesting, very good good. But there's also a very very low harmony in that song, "Damn the River." Um, I'm unsure if it's Cantrell in that deeper vocal line. It could be the drummer uh, Skinny, <laughs> which is what we'll call him. And then Star, uh, it could be the bass of Star, but I'm, I'm not positive. Maybe somebody else can tell me. Um, now, I believe the vocals in Them Bones and um, and most of the songs for the point is, is very much like double-tracked or layered. I think they're layering his vocals. It kind of gives it a little bit of a watery texture to it, but not so much that it's noticeable. Um, and then there's Rooster um, and Dirt. Rooster is probably one of their biggest hits of all time as well, on top of Them Bones and Man in the Box. Uh, it's kind of featured in the latter half of the record, but it's also an excellent song and um, one of their slower on the album. Um, I mentioned that they have a little bit more acoustic records and stuff like that, but Rooster is definitely one of those that is a slower song. It's also an excellent song. Uh, it has a flanger, or there's a chorus being used. Uh, probably both, honestly. He, he, Cantrell's probably using a flange and a chorus at the same time. Um, but the only reason the starting riff is so recognizable is actually the arrangement of the other instruments for the song Rooster, in case anyone forgot. <laughs> but uh, the guitar is the, the highlight of the song, of course. But without that bass line in the back... You don't get a song like this. Um, if you take either of those parts without the other part, it won't sound like the song that we end up getting. Um, I also feel that the basis for Alice in Chains doesn't really get enough credit. Um, he doesn't really get the opportunity to vibe much with the other members. He doesn't get an opportunity to riff much or do any fills or anything. The, I think the standouts in Alice in Chains are very much the guitar and the vocalist. Staley and Cantrell, what they're doing is the standouts. That's what people remember Alice in Chains for. However, if you take a step back and you listen to the bass lines, you'll kind of note that they are actually a lot more complicated and impressive that you, than you'd expect. Um, and sometimes, uh, especially in this album, they give him a little bit more freedom Sometimes they sound even more complicated than some of the guitar riffs because the guitar riffs, as mentioned, are pretty basic. They're pretty simple, easy to remember stuff, easy ones for an early learning guitarist. But the bass lines are a little bit more complicated. Uh, for instance, besides Rooster, I recommend that you listen to Down in a Hole. It's also a pretty big hit, showed up on a Greatest Hits, but I think it shows off kind of the talent that Star has and the drummer Kenny, for that matter. They get a chance to riff off of each other a little bit more. Um, also, if you listen to the song Wood, um, you can hear the reverb on the drums that I kind of mentioned up top. Now, the guitars in this album haven't really changed much since Facelift. 
But I do think that Cantrell has added a little bit more gain to his sound. The only reason I say that is the intensity of his sustain in certain songs. If you like Rooster, you can kind of hear it echo out a little bit more. Um, I bet if he he has so much gain that he's added now that if he were to he he might be added he might have added an overdrive or something like that as well but i bet if he took his left hand off the frets or the neck you'd hear an immediate feedback response from his amp you can kind of hear this in hate i feel as well um anyway this this is a great album i'm kind of all over the place but this is a great album to listen to, and I'd recommend this for any non-fans of Alice in Chains or people who are not familiar with Alice in Chains. This is the album I'd kind of be like, you know what, um, you need to listen to Dirt, because that's the one that'll hook you for life. But that's the album that will get people in. Unknown to kind of general fans of the band, Jar of Flies was released in 1994. And it is actually considered an EP, or an extended play, if people don't know what that means. Before Dirt was released, there were actually two EPs released. Uh, They were called Sap, and I believe We Die Young was the second one. Those are true EPs, but um, which is kind of a fancy word of saying, hey, we wrote these four songs, but we didn't actually bother to make a full album to go along with them, so enjoy these four songs that we made. Usually EPs come pretty close, and um, at least as far as I've noticed, usually EPs are followed by a big tour that a band have done, or they're released while the band is on tour. They'll be on a worldwide tour for an entire year, and then suddenly they drop an EP in the middle of that tour, that's probably because they're while they're on the road, they're you know messing around with their guitars or while they're practicing in the back before rehearsing the day before. Um, that's probably why EPs exist in the first place. Otherwise, I can't think of a good reason why you'd release an EP without just releasing a full album if you have nothing better to do. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, now, Jar of Flies, however... After after Dirt came out, they released Jar of Flies as the EP. The production value on this album and the song count are very reminiscent of an actual album. Um, now, in this album, there are seven songs, and about four of those songs would appear on a Greatest Hits compilation of some kind. Mike Starr is out as the bassist now. Um, he They've recruited the new bassist, um, my, uh, Mike Inez, I believe. I'm, I may be confusing Mark or Mike, um, whatever. But <laughs> but just know that Star is out as the bassist, and they've now recruited the most current member of the band, Mike Inez. To start, I'd like to note a few things. This is actually the second acoustic EP released, with uh, Sap, I believe, being the first one. I did listen to Sap, but... There's nothing really worth noting about that one, um, so I won't really be going into that one. It's a good album, but there's only like four or five songs. It's not really worth bringing up in this discography. Um, but this EP, Jar of Flies, is the first EP in music history, not just grunge, but music history, to debut number one in the Billboard Top 200 after its release. Uh, the songs were self-produced by the band, and recorded over the course of one week. It uh, 
features these singles, No Excuses, I Stay Away, and Don't Follow. The EP has also uh, been triple platinum. Uh, I think I have my notes here. Yeah, triple platinum. So it's been platinum three times. That's what triple means. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> but uh, tonally, this uh, this album, Jar of Flies, is much, much different than the previous albums. They're actual studio albums. Um, meaning uh, it was actually all acoustic, and it was very lighter as far as lyrically speaking. It's a lot lighter of an album than something like Dirt. Uh, when I saw Allison Chains live about, uh, I believe it's been about half a year ago or so, I was with my brother-in-law. They performed a song called Nutshell, which is on this album, Jar of Flies. For some reason, there were a few audience members who probably, they were having a great time. They were about 30, 38 beers in. <laughs> so they were screaming for this song to be played almost the entire concert since it was being, it's actually, it can be irritating, but also hilarious because they're, they've been drinking. So sometimes it's funny to watch, but, um, so eventually Allison chains did play the song nutshell and these guys freaked the fuck out. They were <laughs> absolutely nuts. One guy was screaming, this is my song, this song is about me, <laughs> you know, I don't know, but uh, that song, Nutshell is one of those songs that really encourages a, an audience to pull out lighters um, or phone lights nowadays, but uh, Nutshell is good, it's not my favorite song on the album, I'm actually a big fan of the song No Excuses, I really like the dueling guitar sound that Cantrell is doing. Um, I think, or I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's using a 12-string in that song. It could be layered, but I'm pretty sure it's either a 12-string or he's just layering them. But I really like the vocal harmonies in that song. That's what that's what the real standout is of that song, is the vocal harmonies. Jar of Flies also features an instrumental track called Whale and Wasp. It's actually quite a beautiful song, uh, considering I'm, I'm not a fan of instrumentals, but... Uh, a lot of bands that have a uh, have a song that plays kind of right before they go on stage, usually it's Don't Stop Believing by Journey because it gets everybody hyped up and they can sing along to it. But I think Whale and the Wasp is actually a great intro song to play while Allison Change is kind of preparing all their instruments and hopping around to try and get their energies levels up so they can get on stage. Uh, it also make actually a good closing song, like right before the encore, because uh, most times encores are expected at this point. Usually if you go to a big concert, not so much like a bar or anything, an encore though, like if you're going to a big concert hall, it's almost expected that they have an encore, especially for a band like Alice in Chains, because by that point they probably didn't even play Man in the Box yet, and you're like, hold on, where's Man in the Box? <laughs> you know, why haven't they played it? Oh, it's probably going to be the encore. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so that song, Whale and Wasp, is actually a good one for that kind of intermittent thing where they, they played their last song and they're pretending to go off stage and, oh, no, maybe we're done, <laughs> you know, and they'll be flashing the lights at the audience to try and get some chanting going. This is a good song to kind of play while they're trying to get all the hype up for that encore. Um, I don't think the band should physically play it because it, kind of be boring to sit through especially if you're at a live concert you want them to play their hits and such that's kind of why you go to bands in the first place but 
Um, but maybe it, to play it over the loudspeakers while they take like a short recess or something like that. Now, the song uh, I Stay Away has some pretty interesting tonal changes as well. There's actually an orca- uh, orchestral sound of some kind in that song. Um, and I believe it has three layered guitars. Again, it might be a 12-string that he's fiddling around with, but I think it, he's got three layered guitars in that song, I Stay Away. The bass is really um, the highlight of that song, because if you notice, and it's kind of hard to notice on the first listen to I had to re-listen to it to be like, okay, now I, I hear that. It, the bass has a really weird, like, froggy or rubbery sound to it i'm not really sure it just sounds like it's bouncing back and it's kind of watery effect to it it's probably a pedal but someone listening can probably tell me what that effect is but you don't often hear bass guitars with an effect outside of an overdrive so i'm really curious what he's using there but again make no mistakes jar of flies is a solid record and if you you should check it out or you know no excuses. You should at least listen to that one. I recommend that. And despite the mellow acoustic tones, it's a great album, and it would be easily easy to recommend this album to people. Next up, we have the album Alice in Chains. This is the self-titled album released in 1995. This would actually be the last album to feature Staley before his tragic death in 2002. This is also one of the most recognizable grunge album covers, in my opinion, outside of like Nirvana's Nevermind with the naked baby on it and all that's and, you know, Soundgarden's popular ones as well. But I think this one probably features one of the most popular or at least well-known album covers. This is the album that features that uh, three-legged dog on the album cover and the album cover is mostly as like a, sh- a tinge of yellow of some kind. Um... The album doesn't have a name on it at all. It doesn't have the name of the band even on it, which is why I think they call it Alice in Chains. I'm not sure if it was marketed as Alice in Chains, but uh, it's pretty typical that when an album uh, is when they're, the band is trying to test the waters a little bit with an untitled album, everybody thinks they're very different when they come out with an untitled album, but trust me, everybody's done it since the dawn of time. I mean, look, Led Zeppelin did it, <laughs> but, but, uh, anyway, they, uh, it's pretty typical that when they come up with like a album without a title on it, it just ends up being named after the band or somebody will come up with something clever like, Oh, Led Zeppelin four. <laughs> but, uh, This album was actually nominated for a Grammy for the Best Hard Rock Performance and went double platinum. Uh, According to Wikipedia, during this time, Lane Staley was actually struggling quite a bit with his addiction to heroin. And I believe uh, as a result, the band was kind of on a hiatus for some time. Uh, Cantrell was actually working on some solo stuff. And at the time, he had actually began to jam with Mike Inez and the drummer, Sean Kinney, both of Alice in Chains, um, on some of Cantrell's solo material. Apparently, the band felt like they were betraying Staley, so they chose to kind of invite him back, and they began to work on this album, Alice in Chains. I do know that they kind of struggled to make this album um, due to Staley's ongoing issues with addiction. I know he was in and out of rehab and... He would, you know, get on the high horse, fall off it and everything. So he would not show up to recordings, sometimes not show up to gigs or just be bad performer 
overall just because of this addiction, this terrible addiction he was suffering from. It's very tragic, but soon after the release of this album, unfortunately, the heroin addiction would claim his life in 2002. Despite all the internal drama, the band managed to put together this really great album. Tonally, this album actually mixes some of the heavy and the acoustic sounds that we've heard from the bands at this point. So it mixes kind of the heaviness of Facelift with like the softness of um, Jar of Flies. It's probably their most balanced album to date as far as, you know, soft and hard sounding songs. The album isn't tonally different from previous albums. I do think the bass takes a bit of a backseat compared to the previous albums. Um, It could be because they've got Inez now instead of Star, but I'm not really sure. Um, It's not, they're not, just the bass isn't riffing as much, basically. It's just kind of repeating what the guitar does, which is very reminiscent of the Facelift album. Lyrically, this is actually a very dark album again. Um... It features lyrics that mainly focus on depression, though. Um, There are a lot sadder songs. The songs are much sadder in this one than they were in previous ones. Which I mentioned that Facelift is kind of outward anger towards bands. Well, this one is more internal. It internalizes stuff and talks about what people are going through as far as their depression and stuff. But um, this album features four singles. Uh, Grind, Heaven Beside You, Again, and Over Now, I believe were the singles. Heaven Beside You is my personal favorite of the singles. Grind is actually a really heavy song, very reminiscent of kind of the, um, you know, man-in-the-box type of stuff. But uh, most of the songs were more of the acoustic side of Alice in Chains. I'd say for the most part, at least most of the songs are very acoustically driven. Of the albums they've released, I think that this one's my least favorite. Only for the fact that the songs didn't have the same impact as the previous albums did. It features a lot of what sounds like kind of B-side songs that they may have written before the album was ever even an idea. Kind of like a coda type of thing from Led Zeppelin, if you remember... It's just that thing where they they wrote all of these songs and they just never bothered to release them. That's kind of what this album feels like. It combines the grit of dirt with like the softness of Jar and Flies. I think I'm also the least familiar with this album as far as the song content. I know the cover of the album, but the song content I wasn't really aware of. I don't think I'd ever actually listened to it before this discography. So that might also be part of it, but... It is a solid album. I don't have too much to go into for it, but this album was wrought with struggles behind the scenes, which might have affected the quality of the songs in it. It's a solid record, but their worst, not their worst, but it's not really their best. It's just that that album I'd put right dead in the middle. Um, As a side note to kind of leave off on a positive note, I do love the guitar riff about two minutes into the song again coupled with that kind of do-do part or whatever, <laughs> which that's great. But uh, I do recommend it. It's that... Yep, there you go. They're singing for you again. I'll just leave it on a positive note. <laughs> I'll embarrass myself so y'all don't have to. <laughs> All right, next album. Uh, the next album is Black Gives Way to Blue. This was released in 2009. It was the first album produced without Staley. 
They have uh, replaced Staley with a vocalist and a rhythm guitarist by the name of William Duvall, who's the most current member of the band as well. This album was number five on the Billboard 200 list and was certified gold later in 2010, so just a year later. The singles featured on this album were Check My Brain and Your Decision. Now, a little personal history for you. In 2009, I would have been a junior in high school, I believe. Uh, My third year in high school, for those of y'all unfamiliar with what junior is. I actually remember when this album came out. And I think by that time, I was pretty well into my guitar stuff. Uh, I'd been playing for several years by that point. And I was very familiar with Alice in Chains because, like I mentioned, you couldn't really walk into one of those lessons places without hearing an Alice in Chains song. I think my first memory of Alice in Chains, outside of what I just mentioned, is uh, the band appeared on some sort of um, live talk show, like a David Letterman or like a Jimmy Kimmel or something. I'm not even sure if Jimmy Kimmel would have said a thing in 2009, but um, they appeared on some talk show and they actually performed Check My Brain. And it might have even been the Grammys for all I fucking know, but... (laughs) uh, now, Check My Brain is actually my favorite Alice in Chains song out of all of their songs. This one is definitely my favorite one. Um, I know that's kind of offensive, but fuck it. I love that song. <laughs> it really goes hard, and it's such a simplistic song in the style of like Man in the Box and Them Bones that it's a perfect way to kind of come back into the scene after Alice in Chains was gone for so long, then on that hiatus. I do remember when they first came back that everybody was freaking the fuck out about the new singer. All I remember about that performance is everyone being like, who, who TF is this guy? You know, who the fuck is this guy? But, uh, that being said, Duvall does not actually sing much in this album. This is almost all the way through the entire album. This is a Cantrell, Jerry Cantrell heavy album. I think where Duval really adds to the dynamic of the band is actually the rhythm guitar. I've mentioned before that Cantrell often layers multiple harmonizing guitars in these songs. Before, when there was no rhythm guitar, he would have had to have, uh, live specifically, he would have had to stop playing that main chorus riff in order to do his solo part or the main verse riff in order to do the solo part. So the bass and the drums would have to pick up the slack because I don't think Lane Staley played a guitar, at least not what I saw. He may have, but I'm not positive. Um, Now he's got somebody to back him up. He's got Duvall to do the rhythm parts of the songs that he recorded. Um, Also, Duvall is actually a really solid guitarist, and he's a solid singer. He's not actually too different from Cantrell tonally, but he's not not Staley either, but he 100% can hit those notes that Staley could have. And so Alice in Chains, they had to adapt after being out of the limelight for so long. And I think they succeeded, in my opinion. If you haven't seen them live, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend you go see them live. Don't just look them up on YouTube. You should, you should, you know, why not go watch them on YouTube as well, support your bands, but you should, uh, if they come to your town, I recommend you buy a ticket. You go see them live. Try to get up close if you can, just to kind of see all the little nuances they're doing on stage. They really know how to work a crowd. 
and they and they really do sound like their records. And I know some people are a little hesitant on William Duvall still, but he's actually a very, very good musician, and I really suggest that people see them live. They're very good live. So getting back to this album, Cantrell is the primary singer, and Duvall really is only featured as kind of the backup vocalist. It actually switches the dynamics of the previous albums by making the lower end, which is Cantrell's typical sound, the low end, uh, being the forefront of the voice. Um, and the higher singer, Duval, is actually the harmonizing vocalist, so it switches it in a way. The guitars have kind of gone back to the facelift era of tone. The gain has been backed off a little bit. The riffs are a little bit more simple and precise. The drums are, you know, bigger than ever, but there's a uh, there's a lot of cymbal crashing going on, which is a lot more um, prevalent in the later stuff than with the early stuff. I think the bass is kind of like the Alice in Chains self-titled album, uh, meaning that they just copy kind of the guitar riff a lot. Inez isn't really riffing much. He's not doing much different other than what the guitar is doing. Um, again, it's probably just to add some impact and to also uh, just shine the rhythm through the song, but I don't know. I think the song Last of My Kind is the first song we hear William Duvall actually being the primary vocalist and Cantrell is the backup singer. He, was a, he actually has a very clean vocal sound, and it's probably because he's using a voice effect or something, but um, it's very possible he's using a voice effect or something, uh, or maybe he's just layering his vocals kind of like Staley did, but he's, he's capable of the distortion in his voice like Staley had, but not nearly to that point. Um, he has a much higher range than Cantrell as well, I think his natural voices as well, just very higher pitched. Um, and that contrast actually adds to the band's benefit. His voice does sound um, watery. Again, it's a possible effect, not positive. But I really like the song in this album, Lesson Learned. I think there's some awesome dual guitar sound that they have with kind of the bends that, st- that Cantrell's doing. And uh, Cantrell's allowed to do that kind of octave stuff now because he has that rhythm guitarist to back him. Now, that being said, this is a pretty solid comeback album, people. It's not their best album by any means, but this album is, you know, a perfect way to kind of remind people that, hey, fuck it, we're Alice in Chains and we're strong and here to stay. Um, So give this album a listen to. If nothing else, you should at least check out the song Check My Brain because, like I mentioned, it's a very solid song. And and the song Lesson Learned are some really good headbanger-worthy songs. So if nothing else, at least go check those songs out. So the next album that we have is the first album I actually heard, and I actually thought this was their comeback album. So when I heard Check My Brain live, I didn't realize that was attached to an album I just thought that was a solo-off thing that Alice in Chains was just trying to say, hey, we're back. Um, I didn't really know the band's history for a long time. I know, fuck me, right? But <laughs> but this album... Uh, but this is the album that I was like, huh, Alice in Chains still makes music? Uh, so I bought this album upon its release in 2013 uh, as a CD, and I remember the cover actually being really cool. It's like a... 
it's a it's a triceratops head, but the sleeve was red and the dino head was green, making it kind of pop like a 3D type of thing. And as well, I believe it was kind of like two skulls that once you put it together, it was supposed to imply that it was a devil or something. But anyway, the devil put the dinosaurs here is the next album. It came out in 2013 and is their fifth studio album or sixth. If you're like me and you consider jars of flies, a studio album. This is actually my least favorite Allison chains record so far. I don't mean to imply that it is bad, but I can't really place my finger on it. Why it, it just, something sounds a little off on this record. It could be my imagination, but it, I think it might be a little too busy as opposed to the more simplistic approaches that they had in previous albums. This album is very busy. The vocals are harmonized throughout the entire album, verse and chorus. Now, this album took four years to put out due to some complications. I believe Cantrell had some shoulder surgery that he had to go through. So the album continued to be delayed and delayed. And they kept saying that, yeah, we're going to make an album eventually. But eventually they did make an album. But um, So the songs don't really have the same kind of panaz that they did in previous albums. To quote a review that was on Wikipedia, the songs are a little bit more of a slow burn than Headbangers, which I actually agree with for the most part. That being said, the album is still good. It sounds off as an Alice in Chains record. It's a bit of a departure from their sound, but every track is really good and solid. Uh, They do sound tuned down more. Like, I think prior to this, they were half a step down on every record, but uh, this one sounds tuned down even more. They might actually be tuned up for all I know, but it sounds like it might be actually a D. Um tuned to a D, a D. Um, but I think that sludge is the word I would describe the guitar tone as in this one. Before, I would say it was probably a little bit more of a chunk sound, but this time it's a lot more of a sludge sound. It rings out a little bit on the lower ends. The higher notes are kind of cut off because the low ends are so heavy. Um, the bass, again, is just kind of more of a repeating guitar line parts, and the drums are very cymbal-heavy again. And the vocals are actually pretty consistent from the previous album with Cantrell mainly taking the charge here. But like I said, this album features a lot of harmonization and they're harmonizing every single part. Every song is harmonized, every verse, every chorus, they're harmonizing. Singles on this album were Hollow, Stone, and Voices. I think Stone is my favorite of those. Maybe Voices is a close second. Um, But Stone actually released number one on the Billboard charts when it came out. And Voices was number three at the same time, which is kind of interesting. It's kind of cool to see that. I don't think that Cantrell is layering the guitars as much. My guess is that he has it has something to do with the fact that he's doing a little bit more singing now since he is kind of the forefront vocalist. But it's also um, probably because he has Duvall to kind of fall back on for the rhythm parts, whereas in the past he would have done all the parts at once. Um... The album is a little bit slower paced than Black Gives Way to Blue. Uh, They are touching on some of that acoustic sound that they had in the early albums, like with Dirt and Jar and Flies and stuff like that. Um, uh, Especially in the song Voices, which is um, it's a little bit more acoustic and distortion based type of song. But 
lyrically, the verse parts are smaller and the notes are held a little bit longer. What I mean by that is the verse lines will maybe only have three words in it and um, they'll change like one word and just repeat that one part. Like, I don't know, or, you know, they'll just say that over and over, but um, they'll hold, hold the notes to kind of bring out the verse and hold it a little bit longer. And then they'll repeat the chorus a little bit more frequently than in previous records. Now, this is a good album. I feel like I've beaten it up a little bit. Uh, I don't think the album really deserves that. It's kind of unfair to you know say it's a terrible album or anything like that. But it is a solid record. And it is my first Alice in Chains record that I ever went out and bought and actively bought outside of like a greatest hits. And it's worth a listen to. I'm also not just covering my ass. Uh, I know people are sensitive and stuff like that. I don't want to step on any toes, but if you don't like something, hell, I'll tell you it. If I if I don't like this album, I'll tell you. But I do enjoy it. I honestly I enjoy this album, but not nearly as to the same degree as some of the other albums. That's why it's kind of sits in my last one. But let me know what you think. If you like it, great. Let me tell me why. Cool. But we made it, guys. This is the final album that I'll discuss on this discography. It's the, I want to emphasize, this is the final album thus far. Um, Rainier Fog came out, which is actually not an easy word. Rainier Fog. Rain, I-E-R, fog. (laughs) But uh, not a fun thing to say, but Rainier Fog came out in 2018. So just last year. Um, And as soon as I heard this album was being released, I put it on my Google Calendar and downloaded it as soon as it came out. Now, uh, again, when I saw Alice live, I saw them before this album was released. But most of my excitement for this album's release came from one song, and that song is called The One You Know. The One You Know was released as a single about a few months prior to the actual album release, and I kind of fell in love with it immediately. I love that song. The song's amazing. Um, I was very excited to hear that sound that we know from Alice in Chains, and I think this album as a whole does not does not deviate from that expectation. This album is still kind of fresh, so it's a little bit biased, but I think the this is the closest they've come to sounding like their earlier records with Staley. The one you know is my favorite song on the record, even though I know I know it sounds very similar to Man in a Box, Man in the Box, but it's different enough to not warrant that comparison. It's almost like an upside down Man in the Box, the way it's played. But as a whole, the album uh, feels a little, a lot more vibrant than previous Alice in Chains records. It's the least dark album, and it maintains the heaviness of their sound at the same time. They're having a lot of fun with this album. I can tell this was probably a joy for them to record. Duvall, at this point, is a lot more on the forefront of as far as the vocal ranges. He's the primary vocalist role. And he sounds actually a lot more confident as a singer. And since he is kind of the newer one of the band, um, he actually really vibes off of all of them very well. He feels just like a stable member. They all do. I mean, you can barely... Um, the only reason you notice that there's any change in vocalists is because Staley was such a amazing and well-known singer for the grunge era. But Duval is a very good singer and deserves all the props he gets. But uh, Cantrell, I believe, ups the gain a little bit on his sound, um, kind of like more like the dirt kind of sound. Um, 
and he uses a lot less effects than he did the previous two records. He sticks a little bit more true to the natural sound of his guitar amps, and uh, with the occasional kind of wah-wah pedal thrown in for added effect, probably a chorus in there as well. Now, the bass actually gets a little bit more chance to riff here. Inez is riffing a little bit. He's doing some different riffs that harmonize. He harmonizes with the guitar parts still, but um, he's not just copying exactly what the guitar parts do. The drums have a little bit less cymbal usage. Um, They're still pretty prominent in the songs, but there's a lot more toms being thrown in, and the snare is very snappy. I think the album features... Probably one of Cantrell's best guitar solos he's had in all of these discographies. Uh, and it's in the song called Fly. Uh, it sounds like a double-tracked uh, double solo. Um, it's actually very well-written. Um, and Cantrell as a whole, although being a good guitarist, is more of a riff and rhythm man. His solos are usually very short, and nobody can nobody really defines Alice in Chains by their guitar solos. It's mainly just those riffs and rhythms that people recognize instantly. But Cantrell can show off his props when he wants to. I mean, the guy is a good guitarist. Don't don't mistake those simplest those simplistic approaches to guitar as he's not a good guitarist. He's actually very well. He's very good guitarist. Kind of like a like a uh, ACDC Angus Young type. Probably one of the longer records in their discography. At least the the songs are longer. I think Facelift actually has the most songs. I'm not 100% positive without looking at it, but these songs are definitely longer. Like some of them are eight minutes long or something like that versus something like Facelift. They're like two or three minutes long. Um, I actually really enjoy the song Rainier Fog as well, the title's track. Uh, There's a great guitar riff being played on the verse that kind of combines the power chords a little bit. It's actually pretty cool. You should check it out. Um, But overall, this album's a solid one, man. It's really good. It's actually one of my favorite ones, and they really recaptured that sound that you know from Alice in Chains. Um, I may feel differently in a year because it's still fresh, um, but it's actually a great album to end on as well because this album, again... Rainier Fog really sounds like a fuck yeah, we're still Alice in Chains type of song. Go check it out. It's a rockin' record. Definitely check that one out. But that's kind of it, guys. That's um, that's Alice in Chains. Those are the discographies. There's not a lot. Um, usually when I go through these things, there's like 12 albums I have to cover. So I'm just like, yep, it's good, and then move on. But now I can actually sit back, take my time, and listen to these six, seven albums. But Um, I do have some fun facts for you before we leave off for the day. Um, I like to end on some fun facts because uh, they're fun. (laughs) But uh, the band Alice Alice Chains actually took its name from a glam metal band of the same name. They were also called Alice in Chains that uh, Lane Staley was actually a part of before he joined the band. That's right. Lane Staley was part of a glam rock band at some point. Uh, the band that he was part of, I believe, was actually called Sleaze, uh, and then they changed it to Alice in Chains later. Um, and not to be confused with the current Alice in Chains that we know, they were actually concerned when they changed the band's name from Sleaze to Alice in Chains, they were concerned about the association with female bondage, Alice in Chains. So they actually changed it to Alice in like the letter N hyphen chains 
I'm sorry, apostrophe chains. And uh, yet I've never seen it spelled that way otherwise. Um, because once, once that band broke up and Staley and Cantrell and Mike Starr and um, Sean Kinney, once they all got together, it just became Alice in Chains again, like I in Chains. I don't know, weird, just a fun fact. Um, but Alice in Chains has sold over 30 million records worldwide. They have had two number one albums, six top ten albums on the Billboard 200, so all of them. <laughs> they only have six studio albums, so they've had all six of them <laughs> on the top 200. Uh 18 top songs, five number one hits, and 11 Grammy Award nominations for varying reasons. Songs, albums, everything. Rainier Fog is actually the most recent one, and Rainier Fog, I think, was best rock performance. The last year's Grammys or this year's, I'm not familiar, but accolades to mention. But So Jerry Cantrell's simplistic approach to guitar might seem, um, well, simple by most. However, the reason it is simple, at least according to Cantrell himself, is that people like simple. They like the simple songs, things that they can easily remember. And because he sings the top of playing that. So he's singing it while he's also playing. So that's kind of why he's doing simple riffs. Makes sense, right? But uh, Dimebag Daryl of Pantera once said that the layering... And the honest feel that Jerry Cantrell gets on Allison Chains' Dirt record is worth a lot more than someone who plays 5 million notes. And I actually agree with this sentiment. Uh, many times guitarists try to, especially our early learning guitarists, try to hyper-focus on being the fastest or the most complicated guitarists that they possibly can And I think that actually describes 90% of most modern metal bands. Uh, Let's play fast with odd time signatures and as complicated as possible. (laughs) But I don't know uh, to what end are you wanting to accomplish that. Jerry Cantrell created a simple guitar riffs with intricate arrangements and track layering that is far beyond what most guitarists can possibly do. And he's not doing it very fast. Like I mentioned, Man in the Box is one of the best-known songs that they have. And it's a very simple guitar part, but it's very intricate at the same degree. I saw a video once. uh, I I cannot recall the guitarist, but he was shredding it out. He was going absolutely fucking nuts on the guitar. No no melodic backing at all. Somebody was just like, hey, you know, uh, play a you know, shred it out for us. And the guy went nuts, just went crazy. Um, so that interviewer that wanted him to shred it out, asked him to play that same riff, but slower so that people could learn it from home. And he actually struggled. <laughs> he actually, he was like, Oh shit, how do I, cause it was like, he wasn't just shredding it out. It wasn't an improvised solo. He was playing something he knows, but he couldn't figure out like what what are the notes that I hit when I do it. He had to actually pick it out and figure out what am I doing when I actually shred this out. But the key here is balance. So it's okay, it's okay if you want to be the fastest guitarist in the world. Perfectly fine, and it's also okay if you're not one. Everybody's different. Just be what you can be and be proud of your accomplishments as a musician. So that's just 
James's tidbits for the day, but <laughs> everyone has a different taste and everybody has differing levels of ch- silence. So I'll kind of shut off that rant here before I eat my own foot. But Cantrell, like I, they nobody should ever say that Cantrell is a bad guitarist just because he's simple or easy riffs. Because Alice in Chains would not be what they are without Cantrell's simple and easy riffs. So on on to the next fun fact. Alice in Chains has inspired a lot of modern metal bands and modern bands as a whole. Uh, bands like Dream Theater, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Corn. I'm just reading from a list here, but Queens of the Stone Age, Avenged Sevenfold, and even Metallica have all quoted Alice in Chains as a major influence in their music. Metallica actually cited Alice in Chains as a major inspiration of their uh, album Death Magnetic which is kind of, in my opinion, a little bit of their comeback sound. Um, But we're not here to talk about Metallica, so I won't get too much into that. And then on the last fun fact that we have, Elton John, (laughs) remember that name, once once, uh, stated that he was a fan of Alice in Chains's, and he was actually a big admirer of Jerry Cantrell, which kind of brings us all full circle. So... That's going to be it. So on that note, that last fun fact, part two of the Elden John discography will come out next week. At least that's my hope, unless something goes awry. But um, I'm a huge fan of Allison Chains. You know, going through this discography didn't change that whatsoever. In fact, it all it did was just add more songs to my uh, memory space on my iTunes. <laughs> so I'm kind of running out of memory here, but... Uh, every now and then when I listen to these discographies, a little uh, behind the scenes here, I'll download the albums, uh, usually on Spotify, add to my memory, and then one, I'll go through the albums again once I'm finished listening to it. And then I will um, I'll usually delete some of the songs that I don't really care for, I don't need to listen to every single day per se. And, and if I do, I'll just go buy that, go buy that record or something like that. Um, but uh, in this case with Alice in Chains and with Led Zeppelin for that matter is I listen to the album and then they're then I sit there and I'm like, I don't think I can delete these. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's, that's the same fact with Alice in Chains is that a lot of these songs I can't, it's kind of hard to get rid of because I'm actually a huge fan of their music and I love, love listening to these songs. So it's just, you know, I don't know, but I don't know what I'm saying, talking about out my ass here. But, you know, the band is really good. The discography is really good. Um, it was, uh, it's nice to have just kind of six, seven albums to go through rather than having 22 or 33 albums to listen to. <laughs> but um, So I'll discuss the Unjohn discography next week. I appreciate everybody who bothered to listen. Don't forget, I have a Spotify playlist out there. It's called Buttermilk Boulevard Pod. If you go look that up on Spotify, it should pop up on the playlists tab, Buttermilk Boulevard Pod. I'm going to update it with the Alice in Chains stuff. I currently have the Elton John stuff on there. I'll probably get rid of that and then maybe just re-add those songs next week once I talk about Elton John, because I still want y'all to listen to um, his music and what he has to offer, but I don't want to mix those in with Alex and Chains because that's just not going to make any sense. But go check it out. I'll do my best to not put every single Alex and Chains song on there. <laughs> but uh, go check. I'll like. I'll probably put ten to twelve songs on there or something like that, so you can listen through it through the week. Um, but other than that, guys, I appreciate you listening. 
Go follow me on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what you want me to talk to. I mean, all this stuff is free. So I appreciate y'all listening as always. And um, thanks for caring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, guys, I've been James. Um, I'll see y'all next week as always. Buttermilk Boulevard signing off. Rock and roll. Bye-bye.